Hey folks, welcome back to the GC3 cast. Vince and I have been giggling over the dumbest shit in the world, which we'll get to later. Uh, Zach is not amused, and we're in for a great show tonight. Um, we are going to be talking about House of X and Powers of Ten at the end of the show, but first we got some DC books to get through before we get to that. And first up is, uh, well, it's Batman number 78, folks. <laughs> Written. And it was bad, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, written by Tom King, illustrated by Clay Mann. So there was an issue a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, where Vince said, I believe, that this was the issue that when DC Editorial read it, they were like, forget it. You can't go to 105. You have to yeah, wrap you it don't, up you don't have a story here. Yeah. Right. This issue is even worse than that issue. Yeah. Nothing happens in this issue. Except Bruce grows a mustache, which I approve of. Is it? Did he even grow it? Is it fake? He's in or, his matches disguise. Yeah, yeah, that's just his matches disguise. I, I'm, I'm hoping that Bruce has a, has a formidable enough beard that he can grow a mustache when he wants to. Uh, maybe he's pretty high T. Yeah. Um. Oh. Well, this issue is good if you want to pound off and you don't have the internet. <laughs> are you are you doing this episode in character as the bartender who says to matches bra that your wife yeah yep um yeah so okay so this is this is just like a cheesecake issue right that's all this is it's bruce and selena uh running around in their skivvies and sometimes in their full costumes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Inexplicably in their full costumes sometimes. Yeah. Swimming in their full costumes. Yeah. But mostly uh, it's just like a sexy Bruce and Selena issue. And you know, I don't have anything like it's not really problematic um in any way, I don't think. Um it's cheesecakey in the way that I think a lot of people will actually appreciate. But yeah, there's no story here. Uh, there, uh, there's supposed to be. It's what this issue is supposed to accomplish. I think is taking these two like it's it's kind of like the Watchmen thing, where like oh these these people don't really know how to be romantically or sexually involved with people unless they're wearing their costumes. There's a little bit of that here. There's a little bit of that like superhero psychosexual thing. Mostly it's just trying to th these two characters who who you know, Selena feels she may have wronged Bruce in some way. Bruce feels maybe he is just too in his own head for her or whatever. It's kind of them rekindling and I think that's the point that the issue tries to get to, but boy, to like only accomplish that in 20 really labored pages, really, really crappy dialogue throughout this whole thing. Uh, just so many conversations we've already heard before. We've already been through this. The thing where they're rock, the, 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 the scene of them rock climbing. I got to read some of the dialogue from this. Hang on. Because it's, okay, I still have your ring. It's not mine. I shouldn't have kept it. I don't want it. Feels like stealing. Probably why I kept it. Gave it back the first time on the boat. You didn't give it back. I caught you. 
Well, yeah, because I let you catch me. Because I let you run. Because I because I let you see me steal it. You shouldn't steal at least. Ah, shut up. <laughs> this is maybe these two shouldn't be together. This isn't the way people talk to people. I'm fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> or it doesn't, it doesn't matter, doesn't it's it? It's settled. Yeah. It's not settled. Is it settled? It's not settled. It's settled. <laughs> That's not an actual one in there, but a summary. <laughs> no, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, give me there, a break. There's a also break. the weirdness here where they basically uh, say elsewhere us and say that the golden age was just something that took place inside Selena's mind. She basically <laughs> imagines like the Earth 2 Batman story. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. The the one good issue of this whole run, that annual that I circle back to because I really liked it. Um Clayman's art is good sometimes. I really do like that first page, that like near the beginning. Yeah. Um I I think his art's good, but but Tom King clearly just wants him for horny stuff. Yeah. For sure, yeah. You know, which, like, which because because Clayman drew Heroes in Crisis means Tom King's horny for murder. <laughs> Just by well, the transitive principle. Yeah. <laughs> Why does Tom <laughs> King only get an erection when someone dies? I I will let you finish. That. I have no idea where that joke goes. It's just uh, yeah. <laughs> so Neil Hamburger for Neil Hamburger's sake. Sure. Uh, but there are like um, 10 pages in this issue where you think it has to be the last page of the comic. And then you realize you're on page three. <laughs> like, there's just nothing happens. And there's a yeah. bunch of like Batman and Catwoman kissing where you think, like, oh, okay, this is this is the last page. Nope. Tons more after that. But mm-hmm. but you know what? This what? is this is the first part of that two part interlude in City of yeah. Maine. So yeah. <laughs> Next issue is going to be more of this. Yeah, and the the stop and start is kind of the point. Like the the point is that they come so close a few times, and then and then they relent, you know. But um, it's it's not effective. I don't think. I don't think it's effective comic book storytelling. You know, um, the Gotham Knights radio game again shows up when Bruce is buying drinks at the bar or something, which is, a, has been like a running motif throughout King's Batman. And it, it's here to serve no real point. You know, I, the point is that it's like the black freighter for Tom King's Batman run. And the idea that, the, that there's this uh, draft pick that breaks his leg or something. And it, it, they have to put the bad quarterback back in is commenting somehow on like Bruce, um, you know, being away from being Batman or whatever I get, I guess is what they're going for. But, you know, I, it I just, comes off as really self-indulgent. You know, I just see it as the, the last like minute of the worst song I can think of paradise by the dashboard light by, uh, <laughs> it's just some like weird sex metaffor. That, uh, Tom King's throwing sure. In there. Sure. Why not? Um, so remember how I liked the two issues that came before this? Sure do, pal. And, and I did too. And yeah. I did too. I mean, and it's because they're the opposite of this. Like those feel like actual uh, issues of a comic book 
comic book storytelling that that both works as a superhero comic and st- takes chances. You know, I feel like people praise the 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 esoteric nature of King's Batman run because there are these weird interludes and things that that take chances uh, that that dare you to think that they're not boring or pretentious. You know what I mean? <laughs> when when that's all they are. That's not the good stuff. The good stuff is when a comic acts like a comic book and takes some chances and does a little bit of of daring stuff with the narrative. Um, this this doesn't do that. This just uh, just bores me to tears. Well, then let's move on from it. Yes, let's agree that it sucks and move on from it. And agree that we're probably going to talk about it next week, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yep. All right, that brings us to Event Leviathan number four, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Alex Maleev. Um, Let me just say, this issue is my favorite visually of the series thus far. Even though very little happens, I like a lot of the character work that Maleev does here. And more than that, I think this is by far the best issue of the series because some stuff actually happens in this issue. Not enough stuff, but some stuff happens in this issue. <laughs> and um, I think this is the first issue that felt like a somewhat satisfying read start to finish. I still have some issue with it, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as the, what's come before it. I I am with you. I think this is the best issue of the series so far. Yeah, ditto. Um, this is this is kind of what I was hoping for when this whole thing got got announced, you know. And I and honestly, I don't feel like the road from issue one to this issue was all that far. It's not not that long of a road, right? So I wish they would have gotten to the point a little a little quicker. This could have been issue um, two so easily. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you know. That's that's plot and that's storytelling, you know, but 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 part of my other complaint about the series so far was that Bendis just didn't give enough to Alex Maleev to actually do. And I think this issue really remedies that, too. That very first page is gorgeous oh, when th- Superman's like, yep, yeah, when he's looking through like the the uh, color gradient and he's seeing like the that that's a beautiful page. All the different characters rendered in the red, white, and blue tint, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, later, when he gets... Um, when he tries to burst through the Leviathan energy... Excuse me. The Leviathan energy attack. Mm-hmm. And the the art kind of swirls one way where, while the text boxes swirl the other way. Yep. That's, a, that's a really great effect. That's a really great page. It It gets across this this uh, action sequence in a way that's really interesting and that, that we maybe haven't seen before, or at least very often. It reminded me of Count Vertigo a little bit from... Uh, oh, interesting, from Sorrentino's uh, Green Arrow? Yeah, which kind of... Uh, I almost think that, that maybe Count Vertigo's involved somehow. Um, mm, that's, like a, that's like a Dark Horse pick for me 
as to maybe who's not, maybe that's not the identity of Leviathan, but is involved in some way. Yeah, they he did make like a reference to like rogues galleries and mm-hmm. and particularly kind of highlighting the fact that Ollie does have a pretty robust rogues gallery, um, mm-hmm. which is an interesting touch. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, um, Vince. I could buy that. Yeah, I I, I kind of think I I think there's something to that. I think that would be Bendis like putting a stamp on a on a you know semi-prominent villain but not one who's like super name brand. Yeah, and anyway, a pretty Bendis but, villain at that. Yeah. Yeah. I so think. I just put a pin in that for future future sake. Uh-huh. I could be I wrong. I thought the dialogue in this issue was a a bit better than in previous issues too. Yes. Um, I thought that the way that the characters interacted was better. Um, you actually saw the characters beginning to piece some stuff together, and like mm-hmm. for a room full of detectives, that shouldn't be a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when when Bendis eventually gets to write a Batman book, I think he better include Damien in a good chunk of that because I think he gets Damien pretty well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Silencer shows up in this. Yes, right. Honor guest, baby. <laughs> An honored guest in this issue of yes, oh. <laughs> oh, dad jokes. King Tut. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> Zach, Zach is gonna be so. Pa- this is the thing that's gonna tear apart the DC three. Yeah, exactly. References to a mediocre Steve Martin bit <laughs> four years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's get to the last page here, because so uh, halfway through the issue or so, Lois Lane leaves Wayne Manor in an incredibly expensive car that Clark offers to pay for, and then is is uh, like bank shamed into realizing that he can never pay for this uh, car. Great moment! That's wonderful moment. It was, and you can tell Bruce isn't really mad. No, but but he's just rubbing it in because he's, he's an asshole. <laughs> he's humble bragging. He's yeah. kind of like humble bragging, like. Almost. Yeah. So anyway, so Lois leaves leaves this party at Wayne Manor to go to meet with her second team of detectives that she's put together. Uh, do you want to do a roll call here? Uh, I do, but I also want to say I want to make another prediction. Sure. There's going to be three detective teams. <laughs> one one for each Joker. Oh, no. One for each Joker. Yeah. That, no, that, it's no. Not really. I made I made that up. Yes. Roll call. Ralph Harvey... Dibney. I believe that's him. The E is backwards. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yes, uh, Ralph Dibley, the elongated man. Is that Constantine, we think? I think so. Um, uh, Harvey Bullock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zatanna. Mm-hmm. Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. And is that supposed to be the Rene Montoya question? I think so, yeah. I believe so. Wearing like one of uh, one of her girlfriend's wigs. Yeah. <laughs> the red hair. 
Um, but that was a pretty fun reveal. Agreed? Yes. Definitely. Yeah. It I I'm in for this. Um and I think this alludes back to something that we had talked about before where uh Bendis had said something about uh he had a reason for why Plastic Man was there and not Elongated Man yes. and I I guess this is it. Um yeah. The real detectives here. Yeah. Uh, by yep. the way, uh, Elongated Man played in this issue by Ryan Reynolds and John Constantine <laughs> played in this issue by Stephen Amell of Arrow. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Zatanna played by Zoe Deschanel. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Harvey Pollock played by uh, the ghost uh... of Chris Farley. <laughs> kind of a David Harbor from Stranger Things. Really down on his love, David Harbor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. David Harbor's yeah, tongue by right. a bunch of bees. <laughs> there you go. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I, they, they gotta get they gotta get Ralph Dibney a different costume. That yeah. I don't like this one. I don't like his Charlie Brown uh, sash that points to his dick. <laughs> oh no, I'm in for that. <laughs> I like his I like his costume. Yeah. Now, Brian, the thing about the E is that it's okay. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to knock uh, the work that Alex Maleev is doing here, but I mm-hmm. think he's getting the costume slightly wrong because okay. the thing about the thing about Ralph Dibney's E on his chest is that it's actually created by the negative, uh, the like the um, I don't know how to phrase it in artistic terms, but like. The 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 let me show you a. This is no, gonna be I, bad for our listeners, but I, I know what you show, mean. I, it's 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 not its own color. It's it's the color that is like the the solid color makes up the e. The accent color makes up the where the e isn't. It's hard to describe. It, exactly, like like his suit is supposed to be. His suit is supposed to be one color, and that's the E. And then right. there are these interjecting negative, uh, negative colors in the negative space that create. But it's not, the but e. it's not drawn properly here. It exactly, yeah. yeah. It's drawn as a backwards E or as like a yeah, yeah yes. Because did you see the picture I sent you? Yes. Now that is from, I believe that's from a New Fifty Two issue of something, Secret Six maybe. But that's the way the costume is supposed to look, and then you can see the E. Yes. In the positive space. Anyway, that's sorry to nerd out over something that matters not. <laughs> hey, if we didn't do that, this podcast wouldn't exist. Yeah. But no, I think that this is an interesting way to set up the last third of this miniseries. I just wish this was the reveal at the end of the second issue. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add? Nope. All right. Then uh, let's oh. dig. What? Go for it. Wait. You know why I have further further evidence that uh, it could be Count Vertigo? What's that? Because Batgirl says she thinks that they're in Seattle. Oh yeah, that? yeah. There we go. Okay. So that that's what led me to start thinking about Ollie's Rogues Gallery. Interesting. 
I think there's something to I mean, I'm going to be so wrong. It's going to be like, it's going to be some really stupid reveal, but I, I want to be right, damn it. You want to believe. Yeah. Regular Mulder over there. <laughs> That's me. Yep. All right, that brings us to Gotham City Monsters, number one. Um, I believe this is a six-part miniseries. Yes, six-part miniseries uh, featuring some of my favorite characters in DC in general. Uh, Frankenstein, Andrew Bennett slash iVampire, Lady Clayface, Killer Croc. Fun stuff. Written by Steve Orlando. Illustrated by Amanke Nahulapan. Nahulapan? Nahulapan. I swear I need to start doing better research on how to pronounce names. I feel so terrible whenever I mispronounce them. Anyway. Um, Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of this issue, bud? I liked this a lot. Um, I did not expect... I actually knew nothing about this series coming in other than the cast. I did not put two and two together that this would involve Monster Town from the uh, terrific Steve Orlando-penned Batman crossover... Yeah. Um, oh, when Nightwing was good. Yeah, when Nightwing was good. Um, so that was great. Uh, always good to have Andrew Bennett back. Always good to have Frankenstein back. Um, this, um, I mean, this was very much getting the band together, sort of, and even the band doesn't actually uh, get together right, in this yeah. issue. Um, but. Despite that, I I enjoyed this quite a bit. Yeah, I did too, and I, I thought the this is some of the best uh, New Hope on art I think I've seen. Yes, they've they've been used as a fill in artist over the last few years at DC, um, but I think they did a really fantastic job here, and I think they're really well suited for these monstrous characters. It turns out. That's a great Frankenstein throughout this thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I was really pleased on on that. I also uh, think there was a lot of, of, like, pathos drawn from Killer Croc in this issue. Yes. And that is really hard to pull off both from a writing and a visual standpoint. Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. was very, very well done. Yep. And I liked, on that note, I liked the uh, the hotel concierge tusk elephant yeah tusk uh don't say that you want i me. thought i thought, <laughs> I thought just the, say that you need the me. whole the whole thing where he was like i'm rooting for you really came across well like it really came across as like there's this brotherhood of monsters or or creatures or cast-offs or whatever orlando's so good at that so good at making all of these uh, characters have these like chips on their shoulders or feeling that they're cast out and, and that, you know, that if they come together as a common purpose, they or for a common purpose, then they have some sort of brotherhood and they're not alone, you know, and, right. and all of that comes across really well in this. Um, and I think that's what one of our, you know, obviously we were excited because of the, creative team and and the the characters involved but i think one of our criticisms when we were talking about the 
potential criticisms, I should say, when we were talking about the announcement of this book is that, oh, it's a six-issue mini, so we kind of know how it's going to be structured, and it's going to revolve around them facing one one villain or one conflict and 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 it'll be resolved and then we'll, we're not going to see these characters for a while again you know and i i think that that's probably still true but i think the thing that we sell short by saying that is how good steve orlando specifically is at filling in okay so we have all the details and we know who the the villain is going to be and sure enough we get introduced to each one of them and then the villains revealed at the end of the first issue you know pretty pretty boilerplate stuff but it's the way that Orlando fills in the cracks and the details uh to all of these characters it's the way he introduces all of them um it's the way he immediately makes Andrew Bennett this really compelling figure again you know out of nothing basically <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know and that that's a character we haven't seen in a while. So he also is so good at taking characters that we've forgotten we've seen recently, or that have had some sort of role recently, and giving them newfound life. Like Orca was a fairly major character in Nightwing not that long ago, mm-hmm. but who gave a shit about Nightwing? <laughs> you know, but but here, like this this does more for Orca than that entire arc did. I think. Yeah, totally. You are definitely not wrong. Yeah. Um, do we see... Um, do we think anything will... Uh, how can I put this? Like, I, What's been so cool is that this was obviously... The very first seeds for this were planted back at the start of Rebirth with that Night of the Monster Men crossover. Do we think that this is going to be something that Orlando's going to keep coming back to over the course of his career? It wouldn't surprise if DC lets him. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he's very much that that type of writer. So yeah, I w- I wouldn't be surprised either. It's a super fun thing to let him keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Anything else to say about this? Um, no. I was I was really pleased with it. I I think the art the art exceeded my expectations, and that that was probably what made me happiest because. I felt pretty confident that I, I, I knew what Steve Orlando was going to give us, and he he delivered. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I am very proud to announce this is Multiversity's pick of the week this week, um, and it's very very deserving of that. So, good job, Steve Orlando and Co. on this issue. Well, that brings us then to uh, what we want to talk about next. Um, do we have Riddler? Let's, let's do Riddler. Riddler, you're the villain? Sure, we can do that. Yeah. Riddler, you're the villain, special number one, written by uh, Mark Russell, illustrated by Scott Godlewski. Um, as I said before we started recording, this really should have been called King Tut, you're the villain, because King Tut is a major player in this, and Mark Russell continues his run of doing very interesting Year of the Villain specials. Mm-hmm. This was so much fun, you guys. It was a lot of fun. It was very much... Like, Sinestro was fun, but this is, I feel like, more in Mark Russell's wheelhouse a little bit. Um, 
Well, I guess there there are like the two Mark Russells, and this is this is the other Mark Russell. <laughs> um, that one, like Sinestro, was like social commentary, and this is like personal introspection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I I liked this a lot for how flippant it was as a tie-in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm. I. I'm going to argue, though, that, like, yes, it, it was very flippant as a tie-in, but it was surprisingly uh, monumental at the end there. It definitely was. Yeah, you're not wrong. I guess fl- when I say flippant, I, I just mean it It did not. It had no interest in, like, following any sort of template or. Sure, sure. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Whereas even, like, the Sinestro one was still very much working, like, within the framework of you know, Sinestro was doing something to further the goals of the Legion of Doom. And, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, Riddler's motivation here is based on Lex's intervention, but it's not about the whole Justice League Doom War thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much a Riddler story, and it feels like it's going to have bigger implications for him, like outside of all of this stuff. Like I don't see, I don't foresee Riddler going on to play a big role in this story, you know, in the crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I could see, like, man, what if we got like a new? Uh, so what if after <laughs> Tom King is gone, we get Mark Russell on Batman bringing <laughs> back Detective Riddler? Oh, your mouth. <laughs> oh, 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 man. What if he is the next Batman writer? I that's I, I want Mark Russell to to get like a more proper DC Universe book one of these times. But I, I just I'm skeptical as to whether he wants that or not. Yeah, I don't sure. think he would necessarily want it, but I want it. Yeah, I think yeah. I could see him maybe doing it for for a limited a short time. run. Yeah. yeah, not a long run. <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I, I yeah. Um, so I I have a confession to make about this one. What's that? A, about halfway through, I was not into it. Really? Um, yes. And I even like even with Mark King Russell. Tut there. I, even with King Tut there, I thought the I thought Tut was a great addition here. I mean, he didn't even tell us whether he was born in Arizona or raised in Babylonia at he all. Did, he did tell us that he danced by the Nile. Ladies love this style. He rocked for a mile and he ate a crocodile, though. So <laughs> Zach is fuming. <laughs> Zach okay, is... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fall asleep here soon. It's fine. Zach is red. He's red. He's peeling off clothes to become nude and mad. Um, no. Okay. Seriously though, about halfway through, don't get mad at me because there's a twist to my story here, but about halfway through, I'm like, okay, I like Mark Russell, but I don't, I don't always need the same Mark Russell. Like I, what I thought this book initially was, was going to be this thing where it's like, Oh, the Riddler's a loser. He's like, he's Kite Man. You know what I mean? Like the Kite Man story that Tom King's been doing. And I just thought like, oh, this is going to be another story about how the Riddler's 
just a joke villain. He's a loser. If we think about him in the context of like the Adam West Batman, what a what a goofball he is compared to all these other heroes. And I just didn't I felt like ah, there's there's gotta be some other angle to that story than this. And then about halfway through, like Lex gives him the, the initial talk, but it's later when Lex comes back around like issue t- or a uh, page. It's like page 22 or 23. And Lex is talking through this a little more. And we're starting to see uh, Riddler's feelings about himself unfold a little more is when I really started to get wrapped into it. And then the ending was just so perfect. It floored me. It's what I wish comics would do or be afforded the chance to do a lot more often, which is to potentially change these characters in big ways without killing them, without doing away with them, you know? This idea that right in the middle of the Year of the Villain event, the Riddler gives up his current identity as the Riddler and quits. Like, we know he's coming back down the road. It it could be as early as right after the Year of the Villain stuff is all over, but... He'll be back someday. But just the idea that that he doesn't have to die, he doesn't have to get killed, he's not switching sides or anything. He's just, I'm quitting He doesn't get powers. Yeah, he doesn't get, uh, yeah, exactly. He doesn't get upgraded. He doesn't get downgraded. It's an emotional uh, ride that he's on. It's a personal journey. That was so satisfying that it, that it ended up turning what I thought was just going to be another conventional, like, oh, they're making this villain into a joke. And it turned it around and made it like an actual interesting introspective thing that I really, I was really stunned by it by the end. And I can't wait to see what they have the Riddler do down the road. But if we never saw the Riddler again, imagine this being an end for him, you know? The only downside of that is that he would have gone out with his stupid Tom King look. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 that's a, I believe that's a Scott Snyder look. That's no. Ah, uh, I don't. No, the, the, I don't this think the, so. this is his war of jokes and riddles shirt button unbuttoned to his navel mutton chops oh, okay. look. Okay. Well, the mutton chops were in the Snyder run. But was the was the no. carved on no, question no, no, no. mark? No. Okay. Well, wait. Hang on. Now I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the the kombucha girl face. Have you seen that one yet, kids? Um, you guys talk. I'm going to look this up. The art was really good in this. <laughs> the art was great in this. Yeah. Godlewski's been a, a low key highlight lately for a lot of books. Yeah. Um, and uh, all the King Tut jokes aside, I really did enjoy that character in here. And I like that he basically is a one-trick pony, with his like, yeah. uh, with how he's trying to get Batman to fall for his tricks. Um, yeah, his his tuts tricks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, I was gonna say, yeah, there. I like, I do like when Russell writes, not quite the uh, kite man villains, but there there was a. There was some similarity between King Tut here and like some of the villains in Wonder Twins, and it it was fun. 
Yeah, I you know, see just, that. The, just the villain who's just kind of like trying to get by, you know, down on their luck. Just you know, somebody you could really go grab a beer with and <laughs> talk okay. about shenanigans. I have our answer. Okay. Okay. So this is from Snyder and Capullo's uh, uh, Year Zero. It's not the one where he has the question mark uh, mohawk, is it? No, no, no. But he's got the he's got the chops. He's got the shirt. He's like sexy Riddler. The chest carving did not happen until Tom King's run. But okay. the look, everything else about his look was but, in the Snyder Capullo run. But wasn't this the young Riddler look? And then did we ever get not young Riddler there? I I, I, you, I thought he I mean, grew out of that. Do you remember that cover? I think it's like the Batman number one cover where there's like a Riddler who has a yes. question mark mohawk. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the new 52 where all the designs and stylings were good. I mean, all I'm saying is we're both kind of right because the, yes. the, the, the stupid carved chest thing happened with Tom King and the, the, the actual look of him being like a younger quote unquote, hotter mutton chop. Stupid, sexy Riddler. Riddler. Stupid, sexy Riddler was Snyder and Capullo. Yeah. It was a mistake regardless. <laughs> Whoever <laughs> came up with it, it's a bad idea. You're right. He needs to wear a onesie with question marks all over it yeah. uh, and talk out of his rear end when over, he gives his riddles. Over the sea, sea for Catwoman. Uh, just getting <laughs> through his wonderful Batman 66 riddles. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to our last DC book of the week. We're flying through these now. Uh, Young Justice number eight, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by John Timms. We get more Earth three shenanigans here. Um. So I didn't realize till I was halfway through this issue that I didn't read the last issue of this. Oh, that's I, too bad because that was a good one. So I went back and read it. And I really liked it. Um, and I liked this one too. And I specifically liked the reveal of who Batwoman is on this earth. Mm hmm. So did I. It's Steph Brown, guys. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm number one Steph Brown fan. So talk about this issue a bit then, Vincey. Uh, it, I thought it was great. I think. Uh, I love that John Timms is is out of the Harley verse and is over here doing doing Young Justice. I think this is a great fit for uh, Tim's style. I think Bendis is uh, still knocking this book out of the park. I don't, you know, it doesn't. There's there's nothing really annoying about his dialogue in this um, when it easily could be, because I feel like when. Bendis is better at this than most, I think. But I, I think a lot of times when, you know, uh, middle-aged or older people try to write young people, it comes off as really, really annoying. And I don't think there's much of that in here. Um, and I, we, you know, we love, we love alternate, we love our alternate earths, don't we, folks? Um, <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of having a young justice crime syndicate analog and finding out who they all are. Um, I think we may, do we think, do we think Tim's going to start calling himself Drake? 
or, or is he going to have a different name? Well, didn't we hear no, that he was going to have a new will, name? Yeah. Well, yeah, he's we for did. sure he's for sure going to have a new name and new costume, which we've seen. But we haven't seen the name yet. I think some people have speculated Sparrow. Um, but I don't know. Bart Bart is really pushing for Drake. I wonder if that's because Bart knows it in the future. Hmm. Interesting. That could be. Plus, they they've already got a logo here. When he said when yep. when when he he runs by and he smacks uh, Steph and he says, uh, as I was saying, Drake. I don't know. I, I think that would be a fine name. I think it would kind of give away his identity a little bit. Or it would be, they would think, that can't be Tim Drake. He wouldn't be that yeah. stupid as he was Drake as his name. He wouldn't call himself Drake. Yeah. Something, something. I'm trying to think of a Drake song. That uh, would I, I was going to say he too. could be a uh, he could be a wheelchair-bound character on Degrassi Junior High. <laughs> there you go. Was it Degrassi High or <laughs> one of the Degrassi shows? Uh, uh, it was Degrassi: The Next Generation, I believe. Okay. okay. Well, talk amongst yourselves. No, we're not. Who gives a shit about this? I, yeah, I do. No, I'm looking at I it. Think is it Degr- I think Degrassi: it next. The Next Generation? Yeah, yeah okay. nailed it, Vince. Bam. Do you guys ever see the Kroll Show sketch that was a parody of that? Wheels Ontario. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tunes. Yeah. Right, anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Zach, talk about this issue a little bit. I re- honestly, I, I didn't love this issue. I thought it was just okay. <laughs> I thought the Steph stuff was cool, but I, I don't know. Earth three is not my bag, and Baby. I didn't love it when Bendis did it in Superman. I don't love it here. Well, what about this uh, book that says Earth? Three crime syndicate is my bag, baby. By <laughs> Zach Wilson. Don't forget, Zach's never seen an Austin Powers movie, so these references oh, yeah. go right over his head. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Damn it! Oh yeah, now I really don't know what to say. Um, you don't like the crime syndicate? Yeah, I. I, I Sorry. Yeah, I just so like that the, all of that stuff, you know, just like oh we're bad, let's let's fight. Um, it, it it just made the issue a little bit more slight for me. Um, I thought the Tim and Stephanie stuff was really good, um, but otherwise there really wasn't much. Yeah, that sure. stuff was good. Yeah. I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you, but that's okay. We are all entitled to our opinions. Uh, let's do our list before we take a break for Hawkspox stuff. Um, on the good list, we have Batman and the Outsiders, Hawkman and Wonder Woman. On the okay list, we have Catwoman, Collapser, The Flash, Justice the Goddessy, Wonder Twins. The bad list, we have Detective Comics, Sandman Universe list, we have House of Whispers. And the Walmart list, we have Batman Universe. Um, Vince, what's coming out next Which week? should be on the good list, because it's really good. Yeah. But, you know, it has to... Its primary role is to be on the Walmart list. Yeah. So. <laughs> Vince, what's coming out next week for us? Uh, okay. Aquaman, Batman, 
flash forward, which I don't think we're going to talk about. We had said um, we're not going to talk about it, yeah. Yep. Uh, high level, Inferior 5, Justice League, uh, Lex Luthor's Year the Villain, number one, uh, Lucifer, Nightwing, Supergirl, Superman, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Teen Titans, and uh, some Walmart stuff. Yeah. That's it. It's still a fair amount of stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, but also next week, because uh, we can't not talk about things that aren't DC Comics, apparently, we'll be doing our uh, Sufjan Stevens discography review. <laughs> uh, so if you don't like Sufjan Stevens, first of all, correct that problem in your life. Second of all, you may not want to listen to the second half of next week's show. But if you do... I feel like... I feel like we should just spring these on our listeners and not warn them a week in advance. I See, agree. No, I'm trying. I'm trying to look out for our listeners and make sure no. that they. You know, they'll see it. They'll see it when they get it. They they'll see it. They'll they'll better. They'll they'll uh, go to their Stitcher app or whatever, and they'll look at the podcast and they'll go, "Ah, fuck." <laughs> One of these, and I'd much rather have it be that way than to potentially uh, hear about it. For a week before it happens. You just yes. don't want Jeremy to tweet at you is what it comes down to. <laughs> you mean message me on Farmers Only. Yes, that is true. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but until then, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And I'm at Wilker Fox. Now, uh, if, if you guys will indulge me for a second here, I did f- happen to be stumbling across some papers in my basement here, and I found some stuff that Vince left here last year, and included oh, no. in that was his last will and testament. And he said, <laughs> now when I die, I don't think I'm a nut. I don't want no fancy funeral. Just one like old King Todd. <laughs> so you can find him <laughs> laid out in a sarcophagus at a museum near you. Can I do the monkey? <laughs> Funky Todd. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in a few minutes with uh, House of X Powers of 10 discussion. See you guys next week. Because I'm your dentist. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with our Powers of Ten House of X discussion. Uh, We're talking about issues three and four of both series. And we're going to start with Powers of Ten number three. So, Zach, remind us what happened in this issue. So Powers of Ten number three was the really big uh, issue where um, the mutants in the uh, X to the second year 100 timeline uh, go on their raid on Nimrod's base to find out about the origin of Nimrod and a bunch of crazy stuff happens and we find out that 
the year 100 timeline is Moira's ninth life and culminates with Apocalypse Moira getting a data crystal and then Wolverine kills her because it's the best he's the best there is at, at what he does and yeah, what he what... does is stabbing ladies in the stomach yeah that's right oh, damn that was good that was that scene man I don't think I mean I guess I can only speak for myself I did not even consider that was not the tenth life right and so this issue in some ways i think is like after the initial moira issue the biggest game changer because it subverts the expectation that the powers of 10 timeline is all in moira's 10th life now we know it's obviously not and yeah. that calls into question every single one of those time points. Well, but then at the end of the issue, they show you like the extended uh, timeline of Moira's ninth life, and which we didn't see before. Right. Right. And my, you, you see everything that falls on that timeline then, and then life ten, and you're and like. That was the holy shit moment for me, you know? Um, right, right, right. But now, I, I guess, like, what I'm saying is now, like, it calls into question, like, is the, like, year zero timeline actually in her 10th life? I think we can, like, safely assume that the, like, year 10 one is, but then where does year 1000 fall? Right. right. Because right. there actually was some continuity between year 100 and year 1000 in the first Powers of 10 issue, with that uh, black brain mutant who was being like, you know, broken down into data, mm -hmm. um, showing up in year 100 and year 1000. Yep. But it certainly seems like, so if that's the case, that would indicate that the year 1000 is also in the ninth life, but it also seemed like everything got sucked up into Zorn's brain in this issue. <laughs> yeah. It, it also seems like the whole, if, if, if the actions of year 100 succeeded, there will be no need for the year 1000 story. Well, so there, that opens up an interesting can of worms that a lot has, has had some people in a tizzy of like, whether or not the universe continues after Moira dies interesting okay um there there is like some uh disagreement about that um what do you think about that i i i think that it would continue on i don't i don't feel like she that would be like reality is um entirely filtered on, through her yeah yeah like reliant on moira's perception but, do, um, but don't you get the impression that that there aren't many mutants left? I mean, we know there aren't many mutants left in that time in that timeline. Right, and, right. But like we don't know that those people in year one thousand, we don't know what they are. Sure, that's a good point. Okay. And also, I like to say that like year one thousand is all taking place in Zorn's head. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> but then but then what yeah okay 
Uh, I, li- I like that, but then what purpose would that serve? I don't know what. Well, we'll talk about that more when we get to box four. Um, but I have no idea what the year one thousand uh, storyline, mm-hmm. like what point it plays in relation to everything else. It's definitely the most obtuse. I mean, to me, to me, it's always seemed that it's just like, look, this is the outcome. This is the outcome when the X Men fail or something like that. Am I am I off on that? Like, well, like, I don't know because like perhaps that's the only reason we're being shown it. I, I kind of think that maybe it's the like it's the true end game. Maybe. Really? Maybe. Um. I mean, in some ways, I don't... isn't it the? Uh, isn't it sort you of? You know what I think. Go ahead. You can say what, say what you're going to say first. It almost doesn't matter what year 1000 is because that's going to have no bearing on the stories that are being told now. Like, it's a fun it's a fun thing to explore here, but it seems to me like there's not much practical application that anybody can... Unless year 1000 is not the current timeline, there's no reason for us to be concerned in terms of how it affects everything else with what happens there, Right. So I have like a small theory that I don't think is going to be the case because of some other stuff that happens in some of the other issues we're going to talk about. But I think that it's possible that year 1000 may be year be Moira's life 10 at the end. And mm-hmm. the thing, she is one of those people in some capacity. And hmm the things that she is doing will lead to her 11th life. Well, that's interesting. I don't think that that's what's going to happen, but it's, it's something I've like toyed around with. Hmm. Well, let's let's put a pin in the conversation, in the discussion of this issue. Okay. Let's move over to, uh, House of X number three, which is um, this is the beginning of the of the siege on the uh, what's it called the mother uh... the mother uh, mother, really... the mother boy <laughs> mother boy siege on mother boy yes. yeah no it's the uh, it's the the mother mold mother mold there um, we go. yeah yeah Balboa Bay Orcus... window. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm joining X Men, mother. <laughs> I lied before. That's your best bit of voice acting. Oh, thanks. <laughs> off convers off record conversation. <laughs> Patreon content. <laughs> um so this issue really acts as I mean, we should just talk about Hawks three and four together. Yeah, it's, they it's are pretty hard to separate like one. Them. Yeah, yeah, they're one long story, um, and arguably like the most straightforward story in Hawksbox yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, I I do think that there's a lot about the story that isn't what it appears to be, mm-hmm. and that will turn out to be less straightforward in the future. Probably, but, it, but in terms of just a a reading experience, it's the most straightforward. There, There is almost no ambiguity in these two issues. Yes. Yeah. And it's a, it's an answer to 
uh, Hickman's critics who are all wrong uh, when they say <laughs> that when they say that his work is too up its own ass or 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 too smart for its own good or whatever they say. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like most people really like what he's been doing here, you know, but you get. The... Oh, no. The Hickman defender is logged on, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you get his detractors. And, and all I'm saying is these two issues are full of like the comic booky down to brass tacks action mixed with drama, mixed with character. Like, I think these two, they may not be as monumental as far as like changing the game of what's going on with the X-Men, but they're just some of the most straight up kick-ass like X-Men action scenes that I feel like we've seen in a while too. So it's, it's really Hickman flexing his muscles saying I can do, uh, anything with these characters you know i can i can show you all the aspects of x-men that you love you know so so let's talk about that for a bit this issue features a whole lot of deaths of prominent mutants that we know are part of the um the x-men relaunch what is it called dawn of x Mm -hmm. in in the fall you know uh coming out next month or the month after whatever that is um so how do we how do we feel about the the deaths in this book? Do we feel that they are misleading? That are they clones? Are they are they are they the pod clones we saw, you know, in the first issue of House of X? Are they are are, are the ones we're going to be seeing in the fall? Are they going to be clones? Is this an, another timeline we're still not aware of? Like, what do you guys think the story is here? I think that I I personally think that these are the real ones and that and, and like quote air, air real is it with air quotes like and that the pod people are like who we are going to be following in the new books but why do you think that because of pox four okay we'll get to that in a few minutes then we'll get to that in a yeah. few minutes um but I don't know. It could be it could be different lives, and I'm not like uh, like throwing that out either, um, because I think even if we are in life ten, the whole like life eleven thing is dangling there, um, which I feel like I feel like life eleven will either be the end of this series or, or it will be like Hickman's like Secret Wars equivalent for his X Men run. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, Vince, do you have any particular thoughts on, on if these are quote real mutants or whatever? Uh, I, I, I guess I, I guess I kind of lean towards what Zach is saying, although I, my feelings on it. So Zach, you said that you think the new books are all going to be the, the pod people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, okay. I think that that scene in Hawks one, Mm-hmm. happens after this is my yep. theory yep and you know i think i think you're probably right but as i was reading this i i wanted to believe that the pod people were going to be a plot point that would be resolved um by the time the dawn of x stuff hits like like that the, the, that these are pod people um that 
No, that the, that 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 what comes after this mission are pod people is what I mean. Uh-huh. But but then that that plot point is somehow resolved before Dawn of X starts, and that those are that. My feeling is that the Dawn of X was going to be like the final life of Moira that we're going to follow going forward. Mm-hmm. But I think you saying what you're saying. I think you have a better chance of being right than I do. That well, that was just what my hope was as I was reading these. Can I tell you what, what my thought is? Sure. So who are the two major mutants that we see killed in this issue? In number four, rather. Well, I would say we really see three. Three, okay. So Scott, Gene, and Logan? Yeah. Okay. Those so, are actually, I think, the only ones that we have seen in promotional materials moving forward. Right. So Logan is, is sort of – Logan's look the same forever, right? Uh, he doesn't look particularly younger or older in most comics you read, unless you're doing like an old man Logan story, right? He looks more or less the same. Jean looks incredibly young here from where we've seen her in the past. Like she looks uh, – She, looks, true, she yeah. looks a whole lot younger. And Scott's under a mask that covers his entire face. So we can't really tell if he looks older or younger. But to me, that's a clue that these are the pod people. Because Jean, like, isn't ripened to her current actual age. It's a younger version. Ripened? Brian. <laughs> My goodness. I'm using this truly as a as a horticultural term, you horndog monster. Uh, <laughs> I'm putting that on you, Zach. What was that, Vince? I said I'm putting that on you, Zach. Yeah, see, that's, it is Zach's uh, reading. That's, you yeah. ripened. I don't know. I, I'm telling, you pick a fruit off the vine, you fucking creep. Oh, geez. Like, I don't know. that's even worse. That's not. That's not better, Brian. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about horticulture. You fucking assholes. Oh, like, like a like a juicy peach is what he's gonna say next. <laughs> you, you motherfuckers. Anyway, oh, man. You, you know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> um. Yes, if, yeah, if, I know what if you're they saying. appear if they appear significantly so, young, significantly younger, I would think that that's a that's a clue that these maybe aren't the Gene and Scott that we have gotten to know. It would be very interesting if we find out that Gene and Scott are out there somewhere else or that or that there are like they were pod people from the beginning and he is like curating his idyllic version of the X-Men while the real X-Men are out there, like, not having any of it. See, I, I kind of saw it very differently than that. I saw it, like, on Krakoa, or it doesn't have to be there, but I would presume on Krakoa, there is, like, a essentially a bunker where all the most important uh, mutants are. and like, every... the, like the Black Room thing. Yes. Like the, the, the pocket dimension that Krakoa doesn't know about. Yes. And that oh, they're... Dang. And that... They're sending out the pod people to do the dirty work as the like essentially mutant Illuminati is is plotting everything from a safe space. I like that. Um, I do like that. It, I mean, it is really interesting that, you know, we've talked about the costumes that everyone is wearing. Like Scott has a new costume. But, like, Jean is in her classic Marvel Girl outfit. And, like, Wolverine is in his, like, brown and yellows. And mm-hmm. Mystique is wearing her, you know, kind of classic... Yeah. Classic spy get up. And 
It is interesting. I, I, I like that idea. It, what I think is really interesting about these books, really great about these books, is the three of us all had slightly different reads than the other, but they're all more or less plausible within the fiction of the story because Hickman both gives you so much to work with, but also doesn't tell you anything. Oh, See, for sure. That's why these books are great. They're like, they're comic book lost, you know? Yep. Well, hey, I don't know about that. Forgive, forgive Vince, dear listeners. He has not, he has not been converted to the Church of Lindelof yet. We're he we're getting him not there. What he does, yeah, I we're know. We're getting him there. Um, yeah. Anything else to say about these issues in particular? Um, uh, they're more like Seinfeld. In this essay, I will prove. Two, two small things. I really liked the scene with Emma and Sabretooth. And, um, yes, wonderful that scene. Was very, very good. Um, and then I saw, you know, a lot of the discourse has to, uh, around these issues has had to do with the nature of comic book death. And I, I saw, you know, more than a few detractors saying that, you know, none of the deaths in this issue meant anything and, and the, the emotional weight was wasted completely. But, like, I mean that scene with with Logan and and Kurt was one of the best written scenes in a comic that I I've read this year. So that's all I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and again, I think that there are ways to make those scenes matter without making the deaths stick. Well, and that's yes. I'm glad you said that because let let's be honest, deaths never stick in right, comics. Right. Exactly. Right. So so instead of figuring out a way to get the reader to believe whether a death counts or not, I much prefer a writer just write a good death. <laughs> because yes. we know it's getting out uh, undone somewhere down the road, right? So just write a well-written scene, and that's what I care about. And if you read comics with any regularity and you care about stuff like that, that's what you should care about. Because you know none of it sticks. You know, we're all going to live, you know, maybe another 40, 50 years and we're going to see these characters die again. Trust me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. These are ideas and ideas never die. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. Let's move over to Powers of Ten, number four, which let me just say, I did oh, not know. I, I, I didn't I did not know that I needed. Uh, sassy Mr. Sinister in my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now I know I needed oh, Sassy Mr. Sinister in my life. That's another thing that people who don't like this can just... Well, they're wrong. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, this issue... I like this issue so much. Is this the first issue... That we've had an extended sequence in year zero. Yeah. Um, I think all that we've had so far have been the bits with Charles and Moira in the park and the bit with Charles and Magneto and Moira. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I and think that's all. Like a full third of this issue essentially is a year zero 
Right, uh, right, because we don't have a year 100 bit in this. Right. Um, and I wonder, just, I'm sorry to interrupt, Zach, I wonder if if every issue, or, or, or like once we eliminate year 100, like now that that's eliminated, we're never going back to that. Because we've seen how that ends. Yes, yeah. Um, so I wonder if other stories will wrap up if we'll get similar endings. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, yeah. I, I maybe wouldn't be surprised. Um, although, I mean, it's interesting how like the year 10 bit is still running through this, even though Hawks is all year 10, presumably. Um, which I, I, I'm eager to talk about this year 10 bit, but I want to talk more about sinister first. <laughs> particularly sinister secrets yes yeah go buck wild zach this is your show oh no it's not you guys like this too let let me just say i don't know if you guys have seen this yet uh there was an entire issue of mutant versity our multiversity oh i haven't seen it yet. it came out today where jake uh went through every secret and has a theory about each of them Oh, I, nice. I need to pull that up because I've I've been eager to see his thoughts. Um, and they're all serious, or are they like jokey too? Um, to be honest with you, I the draft I had seen, he wasn't finished with them yet. Okay, so I'm not sure. I wasn't home today when it published. So, uh, but I believe he, what he said was that he doesn't believe that they're all going to come true, but he believes he's the only person who would think certain thoughts of these. So, <laughs> uh, I'm looking okay. forward to that. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, um, but Zach, you had like a theory about this that tied to your theory on what happens with Donovex. So I, I want you to talk about that before we're through here. Well, yeah. So so there's two things here. The only other time Sinister has been mentioned in this series so far is in relation to the Sinister Pits that bred all of the mutant chimeras in the year 100 timeline, which we now know was moira life nine which is presumably presumably not this life so Mm -hmm. um if this is not year 10 that could like throw a wrench in everything but like here xavier uh like brainwashes mr sinister into like focusing on collecting mutant genes like cataloging them um and why else would Xavier want him to do that if not to have a catalog to be able to regrow all of his all the mutants whenever he wants? Um, but as we learn in Sinister Secrets, Sinister knows what Charles knows, but Charles doesn't know that Sinister knows what <laughs> What he knows. Charles knows, right. <laughs> don't do what Donnie don't does. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, after I read this, I thought, oh, okay, this leads to the pod people, but it could easily not. That feels very obvious. Um, before we touch on Sinister Secrets a little bit, um, it's worth noticing that, or, or worth mentioning, I think, that Bar Sinister uh, was introduced in Secret Wars. Was it really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, I read that. I think it's true um, that it was the Secret Wars Mr. Sinister's castle thing. So, uh, and I think this Mr. Sinister, uh, like, persona kind of. Uh, originated in Hickman's 
in Secret Wars. Although um, someone in the Multiversity Slack did mention that the idea of uh, Sinister creating a a a city of clones of himself originated in Kieran Gillen's Uncanny yep. X Men run. Uh, which I saw was very that in the good. Slack too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I definitely think that he is pulling from that here, too. Um, and everybody should go read that because it was really good. Uh, I can't remember who did the art on that, but it might have been Daniel Acuna, I want to say. I think that's right. I might be wrong, though. I'm not going to look it up. Someone can correct me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just like blowing through these Sinister Secrets really quick. Um, I've not, uh, so I haven't read Mutantversity yet. So um, I, I'll read that later. Uh, so Jacob may have some like much better thoughts than all of this, but uh, I haven't seen anything significant on like Sinister Secret One, um, Two. A lot of people think that it's uh, Jumbo Carnation from Grant Morrison's New X Men run. Um, he was a mutant fashion designer. Mm-hmm. who died in the intru- the issue he was introduced yes, in. I, I forgot the character's name, but I thought the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the flower that's the fullest. Jumbo Carnation, that makes sense. I, I have no idea. Like, I don't know if that's important, but I, I buy into that theory. Um, uh, Sinister Secret number three is like pretty clearly referring to Madeline Pryor. Uh, and this... This secret plus one of the other ones has gotten me to go back and read the Inferno crossover. <laughs> oh, Zach, you're such a good boy. Um, uh, it's actually uh, not the worst thing I've ever read. The art is really good, and like most of the issues have been um, like written by Louise Simonson, and a lot of them have had Walt Simonson art. Mm. Uh, it's pretty, it's not bad. Um, Louise Simonson least... is like an underrated comic writer from her era. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, for, um, I don't know what this is. Um, and I, I don't, I haven't seen a, a consensus. Um, uh, so, uh, this issue did introduce a, a mutant sinister, which I think, I think is a first and, and the secret, uh, there's like a 4.5 secret, uh, that reveals that his X gene came from John Proudstar, who was one of the uh, new X Men in all Giant new, Size X Men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all new, all different. Yeah, and uh, he died like a few issues later. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Number five. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but at one point on Twitter, uh, Hickman said that a a group of mutants is called an orgy, um, <laughs> and that's basically what the secret's getting at. Um, most people seem to think it's like the big love quadrangle between Scott and Jean and Logan and Emma mm-hmm. with like maybe some Madeline Pryor thrown in there. Um, six. It seems like I've seen like a 50, 50 split between this being strife who is like a aged up clone of cable mm-hmm. and the samples being the legacy virus. And then the other, uh, being Ernst, who was a Morrison creation, who was supposed to be the rehabilitated Cassandra Nova, um, but mm. then was like later rec- um, but was used in 
I don't know if you guys remember the Spider-Man and the X-Men miniseries that like spun out of Wolverine and the X-Men, but she was uh, in that and she worked for Mr. Sinister collecting mutant genetic samples. Um, Interesting. So I've, seen, I've seen both of those. Uh, Seven is a Summers Brothers fake out. Uh, eight um, is actually touched on in this issue a little bit, so I'll wait and talk about that one in a minute. Um, I don't know about nine. And then the we get like an Inferno callback, which I've seen some people speculate that we might get a new Inferno that's kind of like the Infinity equivalent for this X-Men run, kind of like his mid-series event. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, number 10 just tells us that Sinister knows, even though Charles doesn't want him to. Nice work, Zach. It's a lot. I've seen some people speculating that the non-couple is uh, either um, Kitty and uh, Colossus or who was the other one? Shit. I've, I've seen that one. I've seen Jubilee and X-23. Yes, yes, that's the other one, yeah. Um, and then I've also seen Moira and Apocalypse. Well, Tossed Jubilee around. works with sparks flying. Right, that's the fireworks bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and apparently they were a couple in a in a comic at one point, or were hinted at. They, they had um, romantic inclinations. But I, I don't have a source for that. Yeah. Yeah. What a great uh, storytelling convention. <laughs> Plus, Vince, for, for old school Conan fans like us, how can you not read this as Sinister Secrets? Well, yeah, I already did the reference earlier. I know. But I'm uh, saying, like, it's just it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful turn of phrase. So I'm surprised one of them didn't say uh, someone came up to Mr. Sinister and asked for his autograph yeah. and and he and he replied, uh, how dare you speak to me? Or yeah, whatever it's a slightly it's a slightly obscured version of the Jeff Goldblum one. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. It, it was uh, people often walk up to me and say, "Is it pronounced oh, is Goldblum it pronounced... or Goldblum?" And I say, "How dare you speak to me?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I combined that with the uh, with the the Harrison with the Ford secrets where he says uh, someone once walked up, a kid once walked up to me once and asked me for an autograph and then he said thanks Mr. Hanks so yeah. I grabbed so I grabbed it and I tore it up in front of him or something like that yeah. uh, killing bits from the early aughts the best, best uh, just the best Walker Texas Ranger lover <laughs> exactly <laughs> alright uh, Zach what else did you want to talk about with this issue um, do you guys have anything else to say Sinister-esque not Sinister-esque no Okay. I, I just want to say okay. that I feel like Mr. Sinister is one of those characters that I'm so glad Hickman isn't trying to change some of the more like ridiculous elements of that character. One of the things that Hickman does so well is he takes things that shouldn't work and makes them work really, really well. And I feel like even just the name Mr. Sinister is so goofy, but like he just embraces it and makes it something really fascinating and enjoyable. And, uh, this is maybe my favorite sequence of any of the Powers of Ten series so far. Yeah. 
I'm with you. Yeah. So go ahead, Zach. What else are you going to say about Sinister? Nothing else about Sinister. We can go ahead and move on to the next one if you want. All right, you go ahead. Okay, uh, so uh, Xavier cosplays as Cassandra Nova. Um, <laughs> which, like, I don't know what we're supposed to take from that. It feels like a red herring. But so? just, like, such a trolly. It's such a trolly thing to do, you know? Yeah. I really do feel like it's just it's it's just Hickman and and Silva trolling us. Um, I really have no idea what to think about that. I I don't either. I don't either. And it's and the scene even like kind of weirdly mirrors the first issue of of New X Men or uh, Morrison's New X Men. You know, with Cipher playing the uh, the Trask role a little bit. Not exactly, but the scenery is similar. There are shades. Uh-huh. Does this well? Play... We are. We already know. Go we ahead, already Vince. know that Hickman. We, we already know that Hickman loves referencing Morrison's X Men. Yeah, so he does. Um, so we see. Um, Can I say just one thing quickly? Y- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there have been a lot of people who have believed the whole time that this wasn't actually Xavier that we're seeing, mm-hmm. that, that it's somebody else posing as Xavier. Does, and people are pointing to this sequence as being perhaps evidence of that. Evidence that he like is Cassandra or that he's like someone else entirely. I mean, Cassandra is the one that makes the most sense here, but just that, just that, you know, this plays into the theory that maybe Charles isn't who we believe he is. So the main reason I don't think that it's Cassandra is because we actually like just had Cassandra in Tom Taylor's X-Men Red. Okay. And I and I don't feel like Hickman would return to that so quickly. But I didn't read that run. I just know that she was in it. Um So I don't really know how it resolves. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what to think. It's interesting. We'll we'll put a pin in that idea, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um I love Cypher's role in all of this. Oh, brilliant. So Cypher, yeah. I wanted to say there's like a a key scene, uh especially uh well, I was gonna say no one we know about the future, but again, this was like year one hundred. So you know, in, in year one hundred it was implied that Krakoa like took over Cypher's body. Mm-hmm. And so here we see Cypher walking through the forest and he brushes his hands brush against some leaves and those leaves like techno out like they have contracted the transmode virus. Yeah. From Cypher, which is. I mean, it was clear it it was focused on, so that feels important. Mm -hmm. Can I say something about about the year 100 stuff? real quick before we get back to this. Sure. sure go ahead. It, it, ha- yeah, yeah. it has to do with what you just said, but you know, earlier we talked about how we're, we're we, we saw year 100 kind of close off itself, mm-hmm. but you know, considering, considering we can't even be sure that this is the final life of Moira that we're going to see. Mm-hmm. And considering that every, every life that Moira lives 
we see a little bit more of, it gets a little bit more successful towards this goal that they're working towards. I'm not convinced that we're not going to see year 100 stuff in a different life or in a different context yet. Oh, that is which makes me, which makes me think we That's might a good see point. The, you know what I mean? Which makes me think we might see the cipher stuff that we're talking about here actually play out in, in the same some, way. In a or same a or similar, way. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point because I think even the way that the sinister stuff mm-hmm. works here still could lead to like the sinister breeding pits yes. and things like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm with you there too. It it, I... it would be interesting if if it was just like an unavoidable right reality. Yeah. Can I bring up one more, like, very, very small piece of information that I found interesting that I forgot to mention in Please uh, do. Powers of X, uh, Powers of Ten Three? So at the yeah, end, yeah. at the end of that issue, or the, or the end of the Year One Hundred stuff, there, it says like, and that was the end of the ninth life of Moira X, which mm-hmm. I find really interesting, as I thought Moira X referred to the tenth life. Huh. But it says Ninth Life of Moira X. So, like, Moira X is kind of being used as just, like, her monarch, uh, her mutant name. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. I, I don't um, think it's super significant, but it's, uh, you know, I just think it represents something that Hickman is doing that is... That just continues to, to really grow and like I, as soon as you think you figure something out, he throws something else out there that that changes for that. So it yeah, it, I mean the Moira X thing is really interesting because like I mean the X obviously plays so many different things. It can be ten, it can be referring to her as a mutant. It could even refer to you know the time when she was married to Charles. You know right. yeah. Um. So there are a lot of different ways of looking at that. Um, but yeah, then we get this weird secret origin of Krakoa, um, <laughs> which, um, two, two things on this one, I think that this is seeding a new Inferno crossover, um, because it very much seems like those are like demons coming out of the earth in that flashback scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, I don't know if either of you guys saw in Marvel 1000, um, Hickman had a page with Dustin Weaver that uh, was the night, year 1995 page, which highlighted the Age of Apocalypse. And it was a page of Apocalypse kind of, you know, just opining for his original Four Horsemen, which plays into the secret origin of Krakoa. Oh, you know that that one little page in a book that a lot of these people who are reading this aren't reading is going to factor in somehow. You know, yes. you know it is. Yeah, like 100%. And it's going to be the fucking Rosetta that. Stone of this uh, comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, we see like the um, kind of like from behind profiles of the Four Horsemen and um Someone in the Slack channel uh, highlighted that one of them looks like Firebrand, I think is his name, which is an old um, Herald of Galactus. Mm-hmm. 
pretty pretty distinctive uh, look. But I, I can't make out the other three. Um, but that's definitely going to be a thing. And, and another, you know, kind of reading the tea leaves, um, Marvel's big event that they're promoting now is that incoming event mm-hmm. that's starting in December. And one of the teasers features Charles uh, Magneto and Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure there's something there. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's wild to me that that's going to tie in with this, but uh, this is really important. So it's, it's starting to sprawl. It's sprawling. Um, but that's about all I have to say about that. Um, we get a little bit of, uh, the, a breakdown of, Krakoa systems, which I think the most interesting thing there is the the stuff with Forge. Yes, um, agreed. But I, I don't have a lot to say about this unless you guys do. No, I think I think I'm good. Okay. Um, well, then we close out really quick with the Year One Thousand stuff, which I I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> I have um, no clue what's happening here. The, Just the, more the, of the phalanx. This elder puts his soul in a robot, and the robot gets absorbed, and now we wait and see. It's the singularity, baby. That's what I want. I want to put my soul in a robot and go into the internet and live forever. This is I'm reading my fantasy playing out in these pages. Um, I want to be absorbed by the phalanx. Um, of. of just to tie this back to the Morrison connections, uh, after the phalanx absorbs his uh, like soul robot, he looks a lot like um, crap. What's his name? The like Sun Eater AI guy who is in DC One Million and All Star Superman. Oh, uh, oh. La, 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 la. fuck! Um, it's the main villain in in both of those. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I can't, I can't remember his name, but the design is like very similar. Talk amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm looking it up. Solaris. Yeah, yep, Solaris. That's it. Yep, yep. Very Solaris esque. Um, we uh just talked a whole bunch about these books, but um. Pepe Larraz and RB Silver are still just yes. they're killing just, it. They're destroying it. Yes. Um, uh, did you guys see by the way that these are being collected in one volume? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I'm so stupid that I I bought them individually, and I'm also probably gonna buy oh, them. No, me too, for sure, <laughs> no doubt. That's not yeah. stupid. This is we are reading one of the most important X books of our lifetimes right now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, this is an event. Like, this this is a this is a comic event. Mm-hmm. In in a way that the word is often bastardized. Not, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, nothing wrong with a little double dipping, but um, yeah, no, this is good. And uh, next week we get our second 
red highlighted issue. Oh, yes. I can only imagine what that means. Uh, yeah, same. I have no idea. It's a House of X issue, right? Yes, yeah. It's so House of House of X number five, and then the final issue of Powers of Ten number six will be an, an, another red issue, which of course that's the last issue. It's it's going to be a big deal. Right. Um, but uh, just to close out. Uh, well, let me say one note, thing quickly. I, um, sure, sure. I feel like because of how the series has been structured thus far, I feel like we're going to get the answer about the pod people or real mutants this week. I I think you're probably right. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. I think we also... I wonder if we were going to find out what is up with Moira in the present day. Because we haven't seen her in year 10 yet. That's mm-hmm. really interesting, yeah. Um, all we know is that she is presumed dead. But she faked her death. We know that she faked her death, which was like a previous story. Um, I think it actually says in the timeline that um, she faked her death using a Shi'ar golem. <laughs> why, not, why not? Sure. Oh, um, God, I love Hickman. <laughs> um, but I was just going to say, at, at the time of recording, uh, Marvel released a Dawn of X trailer, and also apparently there is a Hickman-led uh writer retreat going on yeah i saw that on bleeding cool so i i figure we'll probably get some well i figure the big thing coming out of new york will probably be incoming but i wouldn't be surprised if we get maybe some teases or announcements about like the next wave of x books Mm -hmm. um maybe like names and no creative teams or something like that well, I wonder, we won't have any of the Dawn of X books by that point. Uh, when is when is Comic-Con? The first week in October. Okay, no, we'll still have like two issues of, we'll have the last issues left, I think. Or we, we might have like one issue left. Yeah. Because I think X-Men comes out like the third week in October. Right, so what I'm saying is I don't know if they're going to reveal too much. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, I don't expect much. I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, like I said, we got maybe like book names, sure, or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. What a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I know there are people out there who are down on these books for whatever stupid reason that they believe to be true, but I I really cannot, I can't remember a time I had this much fun reading an X-Men line of books. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, I really did enjoy, uh, like, the Wolverine and the X-Men era a lot, like that that Regenesis Mm -hmm. status quo, Uh, but I mean... This is this is a whole other thing. It also seems like 
this could be, if Hickman really positions it right, this could be the type of storytelling that ripples for a very, very long time. I think it's going to ripple right on into the MCU there, Brian. You think Mm -hmm. so? I mean, I don't know why it wouldn't. I don't know, like, so much of the Avengers stuff was kind of built on the back of, to to some degree, like Infinity and, and Hickman's Avengers work, a lot of the ideas, um... I guess maybe not. I mean, like, I guess really just like the Black Order. But but I don't I I feel like one of the big incentives for giving the X-Men such a high profile and handing them off to Hickman is to, like, generate story concepts. <laughs> um, You're probably not wrong. Because yeah. I do think that they're really going to try to differentiate the new, whatever the new X-Men film franchise is from whatever's come before. Yes. Um, like big time. Yeah. Which I don't know if you guys have seen the like latest uh, controversy of um, maybe Charles or, or Magneto will be persons of color. Yeah. That's a controversy? That's... Yeah, it's a it's come on, you know it's a come on, come on. I was I was saying if you could have seen my me, I was doing a, a vicious okay. jerk off motion as I was saying. That. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <sighs> no, that whips. They should just yes. they should. If they, they should. have a they, really they have a should. good idea or somebody has a good audition, that's 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 a great idea. Well, I mean like not to get on a tangent, but it's like so frustrating that we like are even still having that conversation because it really should just be like yes like cast the uh, cast a good person in the role you know somebody there are people out there that probably just want uh cgi patrick stewart for the till the end of time till the heat death of the universe yeah yeah let's just keep making him look younger and more uncanny (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and to be fair, like it's sort of. Su- I think I might have said this before. It sort of sucks that they cast the po- the perfect Logan and Charles and and Eric in the first in the first wave of films. Like, yeah, I mean, that was really ace casting. You know, but... it's 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 hard to have to compete with that. You know, in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing is, I think people are just so ignorant to the clear. Uh, social commentary in the X-Men movies that you have to beat, in the X-Men comics rather, you have to beat them over the head with it in the movies and just make every mutant black. And just be like, well, this is I, literally a, this is literally what we're talking about, folks. This is yeah. it, right here. But, um, yeah. I, I can reveal now that Marvel has chosen me to play Gold Balls, which <laughs> I, I think that's whitewashing too. Um, but I accepted the role, so. Well, I mean, you have to do le- what's best for I'll you. I'll be leaving family. the show. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be leaving the show, and. Well, I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna be boom boom. <laughs> um, and that's um. That would be. Gender bending the role there too. So, um. To be honest, I just wanted to say gold balls again. Well, I just wanted to say boom boom. Yeah. <laughs> I just found out about boom boom and I'm 
enamored with her. I mean, I mean the fact that you're calling oh. it that means you're not ready. <laughs> I can think of no better place to end our discussion. Uh, I wasn't sure if that was too much of a stretch that joke, but I thought it was. I thought it worked. So. That was perfect. Thank you. That was absolutely perfect. Oh, my God. All right. Well, thanks Thanks for joining us this week and every week, folks. We said our goodbyes at the end of the first half of the show. So uh, I guess we'll just cut this off here. Bye. Buried with a donkey. He's my favorite honky. <laughs> all right i i really like how young you guys are making me feel but we got to talk about a lot of comic books now like 